Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. This is Grilling at the Green After Hours, the conversation that took place after the show ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to uh, Grilling at the Green After Hours. I'm JT, along with our good friend Gary Van Sickle today from Sports Illustrated. And uh, you actually started out as a newspaper writer, didn't you, Gary? I was a newspaper guy at the Milwaukee Journal. Covered uh, University of Wisconsin football and basketball. Covered golf in the summer. Then I covered the pack. I was a beat guy for the Packers for a couple of years in the mid '80s when they were horrible. Their quarterbacks were Lynn Dickey and then Randy Wright. So you you know, we had a number of players in court for uh, sexual assault, and it was good times for everybody. And then, uh, gosh, and I went to uh, got stolen away by Golf World magazine, a weekly, which was pretty good pretty good product and then sports illustrated started their own golf section within sports illustrated so i got hired away to do that and uh now i'm a senior contributor for si.com after i've been working a morning read and then it got sold to si.com so i'm back at si in in a sort of but not really but sort of so i can hey i can use my old business cards there you go that's nice there you go so i came up with some fun questions uh for you and uh we'll see how you how you do with them okay. some of them are some of them are silly some of them are are, are kind of serious but you, i know you can handle anything i can throw at you okay so if you could play a round of golf with one of your golfing heroes who would it be boy there's so many guys you'd love to play golf with um you know, I, that's a stumper. Uh, you know, who wouldn't want to play golf with Snead or Hogan or Bobby Jones just okay. to see what it was like? I, you know, I, I think I'd be the most curious about Hogan to see if he really was as precise as he supposedly is. And, uh, you know, his being a grump wouldn't phase me at all. I, you know, I, I'd be, I'd enjoy it. So I, I but he'd probably, he'd probably get mad at me for not hitting the shot that's called for because I don't got that shot, Ben. <laughs> you're supposed to hit a fade around this corner. Ben, I don't hit it. I don't have a fade. Yeah. Well, then, you're, you know, then he'd probably walk in because I'm not a real golfer. But I, I'd, I'd like to see how good Hogan was. Yeah, that's, that's true. So uh, outside of golf, if you could dine with a historical figure, who would it be and what would be on the menu? Anybody in history. And if, wow. it was, if it was just Gary and whoever this other person is for dinner, anything you want, what would be on the menu and who would it be? Well, you know, the wise guy wants to say Carmen Electra and shrimp, but 
it would probably uh there's so many you know how about Win how about Winston Churchill? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to find out what it was like. Did you, did you I mean there was a chance you were gonna lose World War Two, but I'd also like to ask him, you know, a little known fact, he was the guy responsible for the big gaffe in World War One where they sent these ships around uh try to do a backdoor play. I think he was a guy responsible for causing Gallipoli, if you yep. remember that movie. Yep. Uh, that was an invasion that he was behind, and it was like one of those clever, all oh, this will never work things, surprise things, and it didn't work. And uh, that that appeared to end his political career, and luckily World War II came along. And I don't know how he clawed back, but he got back into politics and was the right guy at the right place. Yeah, well, I'd he... love to ask him about the, 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 the World War I stuff. He uh he was the vice admiral uh of the the navy as it were they call it something else but he was vice admiral of the navy in World War One and he did Gallipoli like that and then like you said he just kind of disappeared. Yeah, he had to because he was uh, that was a blunder of all blunders. You yeah. know, it's that. I mean, that's we were talking about comebacks earlier. There's one of your great comebacks. You know, Nixon made a comeback, but I think Churchill had a much bigger hill to climb. That was incredible. And and he was up to the what was needed in World War II. Oh, yeah. You'd have to. Uh, uh, I know you don't drink, but if you were with Churchill, you'd have to be able to handle a snifter or two of brandy, I think, if you were having well, that I, dinner. I could do I could do a I can do one or two beers. That's about, you know, anything yeah. beyond that. I'm, a, I'm an amateur. <laughs> um compared to him i think all of us are amateurs yeah you know? well i'm an amateur drinker compared to anybody who drinks i'm not any good at it okay if you could get a lesson and maybe you've already had one of these gary but if you could ever get a lesson from one touring pro who would you choose well i i really wouldn't want a lesson from a touring pro because i don't, a lot of those guys are taking lessons from somebody else right uh i i'd say byron nelson he he helped Watson a little bit, although Watson later, you know, when I did the story on him, said uh, he, he went, you know, he helped Watson turn his career around. But Watson actually said it wasn't so much that what he told me it was more that he was gave me the confidence and this and that. But uh, Byron Nelson was like the I probably should have been the guy I picked to have dinner with. He was like the greatest. I mean, the guy was almost angelic. Yeah. To be around him was to be around. uh Saint, I, someone saint, just saintly. Uh, saintly there's a good word he was saintly what a man what a guy and i would you know i'd be happy to try anything he said and he, yeah. he he knew the golf swing pretty well yeah he did and you read the stories about how he would take guys down to his farm and they'd hit balls in the pasture and i don't know what all his setup was there and then he'd bring them back to colonial or wherever and he'd work with them but it yeah, was, yeah, he, and he was the color guy on ABC Golf with Chris Schenkel back in the early six in the early days yep. when they used to show only the last four holes of a tournament. Yep, yep. I always thought, you know, one thing I've seen this picture. Maybe I, I'm sure you've seen it too. There's a picture of of him and Hogan, and and if you followed golf at all, you know how they they kind of grew up together and they competed together and this and that. And they always called Hogan the wee man, and they always had Byron Nelson looking like this very tall, very handsome, you know, hair done back and all this stuff. But I've seen pictures of them when they were older. 
Nelson didn't look that much taller than Hogan to me. I don't know why I'm even bringing that up, but it's just one of those things where there's, you know, Hogan's size and that was all part of the lore with Hogan and then Byron Nelson, this big farm kid and all this stuff. But when they were standing right next to each other, they didn't look like there was that much difference between them. Well, I can tell you this. I've, I've had the chance to sh- I had the chance to shake Byron Nelson's hand and his hand was the size of a bear paw. It's just about the biggest hand I've ever had the privilege to shake. It was freaking huge. And my only thought was, well, I had two thoughts. One was, well, no wonder he had such good control of the clubs. But then I thought, how did this guy, what kind of grips did he have? He must have had to have had an oversized grip. His hands are gigantic. Yeah. So I don't, I don't remember, you know, when I, when I met him, at, I'd see him every year at the uh, Byron Nelson tournament at Dallas uh, in Arlington. And uh, we usually get a session with him and whatever. And he sent me a note. I reviewed one of his books. He sent me a note. Then he sent me a signed copy of the book. But yeah, I met him a couple of times and he was usually sitting down at that point because he wasn't super mobile. So sure. I don't, I can't speak how tall he was, but I can tell you, he had man hands. Oh my God. They were huge. Yep. Um, if we put Gary Van Sickle's skills, your writing skills and your golf skills to music, what would the music be? It would have to be the kinks. Something a little <laughs> off kilter and maybe <laughs> doesn't sound right. The early kinks. You really got me all day and yeah. all the night. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Um, Gary, what's the worst tournament you ever covered? Doesn't matter for the reason. Could be the weather, yeah. just the whatever. But what was the worst one? That's a good one, boy. There's you tend to block out pain, you know. <laughs> did anybody ever say, "Hey, what did it feel like when you had this?" Like, oh, I don't remember. I actually don't remember because it was so bad. You, your memory blocks it out. Uh I covered a senior event out at Desert Highland, which was in north of Phoenix. And that's those are the Nicholas courses are up on kind of the foothills of the mountains. Right. And it was snowing. It was snowing and 47 degrees. And, you know, of course, all these seniors like Trevino and all those guys, they love, they love cold weather like that. Oh man, they were all, we were all, we were all equally miserable. So it was probably a, a senior. It had to have been one of the majors, the, the tradition, maybe with, I think the tradition used to be up in the mountains there. Um, so probably a tradition. One of those, we had snow and cold and yeah, Trevino couldn't get out of there fast enough. You, the best tournament you ever covered? Your absolute favorite standout? Was it Tiger 97 at the Masters or what was it? Uh, it, it, would hard, it would be hard not to say Tiger in, actually in 2019. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tiger in 2008, the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, because so much other stuff happened. And you may remember Phil was trying to play without a driver, mm-hmm. and Tiger holds some long, crazy putt, and he chipped in from the side of the green. The one, I mean, a lot of stuff happened, but of course, they also ended with Rocco Mediate and played. Yeah, it can't be Rocco Mediate. Yeah, it's got to be Tiger 2019, because he, he was playing better, but you just didn't think. You know, it came out of nowhere. All these guys had to hit into the water on 12, and all of a sudden it's handed to him. And now he's got five holes to play to win the Masters. Could he still do it? And he did. So that was – and we got to see Tiger's emotion afterwards. That one was uh, – That was pretty cool. That, 
that was pretty cool. I mean, Nicholas in 86, pretty cool. But, and there's some other cool ones. I mean, Larry Mize was a guy I was pretty friendly with. He chipped in. You know, he Larry Mize beat Greg Norman and Seve Ballesteros in a playoff. People forget about Seve. He was in that playoff and went out in the first hole. So that was a good one. But I think I think for this year in Normandy of it, it's got to be Tiger and the Masters in 2019. Okay. Um, what was the worst uh press conference you ever covered <laughs> oh there's been some awkward ones there's some guys who didn't like to talk ed fiore was not a good guy to to talk to you know it's funny when andy north won the u.s open in 85 at uh i'm sorry in uh 85 at oakland hills you know, he, he'd won his open in 78. I mean, I was a Wisconsin guy then. So, I mean, I was like his local guy, the Milwaukee yeah. Journal. So he knew me, whatever. But somebody, he I think he had a good round Friday, came to the interview room. And, you know, this wasn't like today where you have Twitter or Golf Channel. You don't, you know, you don't know what's going on in a guy's life. Andy North won the U.S. Open and for all intents and purposes disappeared, didn't do anything. And Somebody who didn't know any better, didn't know these guys had surgeries and all this stuff, said, so uh, you feel like that other open was a fluke? Or he said the F word, fluke. And that set Andy off. And uh, he later said, I almost can't, I can't, I got up out of my chair to go after that guy. It's like, well, maybe you thought you did. But anyways, the point yeah. was the rest of the weekend, he that, that's, that, that shut him up. The guys asked questions. He'd give him three word answers. He didn't say squat. Even after he won, it was a lousy press. He didn't say much, which would wound up being great because I'm the local guy. I got to write about him. I can't, I needed more than that. Yeah. So I follow him back to the locker room because I've been doing this, you know, every year I go to the masters. I, every day I got to check, write a note on him. I go back to the locker room. I'm the only guy there. I'm the only guy who's talking to him. So I had an exclusive every day, three days in a row. He wins the Open, and I had exclusive quotes every day that nobody else had. So it wound up working in my favor. But Andy, he just I, – I told him, it's like, you know, you made a big PR blunder when you – he goes, yeah, I know, but I I just – I had to do it. I couldn't help it. I was yeah. like, I know. I know that he's a hot-tempered guy, but I said, you cost yourself a lot of money with that. He goes, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, um. Sometimes that just happens, you know, you, you, that's who you are, you know, and uh, there were times when he'd go to Augusta and, you know, that course usually beat him up pretty good. And he'd come in and, you know, I'm, he knows I'm there. I'm following in the locker room and he's taken off his glove and fires it into the locker. He undoes one knee brace and fires into the locker and he undoes the other knee brace and fires into the locker. And, you know, he doesn't say anything. I'm standing right there. I don't. He, he's loading up the stuff. He go takes his clubs out right outside the door. The car's waiting there. Puts his clubs in the trunk, and he goes. He finally goes. You got everything you need, and I'm like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to know. Yes. When it's you know he's not. He needed a longer cooling off period than 10, 15 minutes. And slam the trunk and leaving because he missed the cut was not the time to try to get, you know, go over his round or anything like that. But uh, yeah, Andy, he 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 got hot, and it's ironic because he is one of the 
he's a great go. He's I would consider him a go-to interview on tour. If you're writing a story on something, he knows a lot. He spanned the Nicholas and Palmer era to Tiger Woods era. He does TV for ESPN. He's funny. He's sarcastic, just like us. He's a great interview, but the 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 bar is to get that great interview. He's got to know that you know a little bit about the game of golf, and you're not some chucklehead. Yeah, because he doesn't have time. He has a low tolerance for chuckleheads, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people and you know who don't really know much about golf. But anyways, yeah, I understand. Um, you've been covering golf for a long time, Gary. What would you say was the best part of your job and the toughest part of your job? Well, you get to, you get to watch great golf. You get to know some of these guys, you know, you get to become friends with them. I mean, you you have relationships. I mean, that's a lot of fun. Um, Is your your wife remodeling the bathroom again? Well, you're close. Uh, we got a guy remodeling the closet here just down the hall. I didn't know he's going to be here now. Uh, That's all right. The, I don't know. Look, I covered football and basketball in the Midwest and travel in the big 10 in the winter is a nightmare. Your flights are always delayed by weather. You're covering football. You're out there watching the Packers when they're three and 10 and you got to be at practice. Cause if you're not, that's the day the quarterback's probably going to break his leg in practice. So you have to be there. It's miserable that, the players are mad because they're lousy. They're blaming you for reporting the scores of the games. In golf, wherever you're going, it's supposed to be warm. And most of the time, the only guys you talk to are the guys who play well. Mm-hmm. So they're in a good mood, and they're usually happy to talk. Or the, you know, I covered some a few women's events, been to some majors. But you don't really, if somebody shoots 82, you probably don't need to talk to them. So that works out pretty well. So it's a fun everybody's happy to be at the golf tournament by and large. So that's, it's a lot more fun than, you know, these guys who are on the payroll athletes who are making $7 million and they've been the big stud in their town since the age of five. And, you know, the, the media is a nuisance and it's worse now than it ever was when I was doing it 30 years ago. Or uh, So I, I, you know, I feel a little bit bad for the writers who got to handle that now, but. Yeah, no, golf's a great place. That you're, you're in a good place with warm weather. Yep, and I like that. Can't beat uh, it. Good good parking. Most of the time. Most of the yeah. time, good parking. I mean, would you rather be at Cleveland Municipal Stadium or Olympic Club? That's no contest. Yeah, that's no contest. If you could erase one mistake from your past, what would it be? And this question is only if you want to share. And you don't have to, you don't have to give particulars, but if there, if there was one thing you could mis- uh, one mistake you could erase from your past, what might it be? Oh, I think we've all had a million of those. Oh yeah. Uh, how do you pick one? Uh, and you know, most of the time it's just to save embarrassment. I'm trying, I did a story once a guy called in at the newspaper and he was telling me he had a he had a hole in one or something or two hole in ones in one round or something, and he'd reported it to the county course he was at. Then he started talking, said, "Yeah, I've got this new swing, and I've did this and this, and I've shots taken nine shots off my handicap, and I'm shooting sixty five and this and that." And uh, you know, he had signed scorecards, so, or so he said. 
I, I didn't check it out. So I did this story about this guy with this, you know, had a hole in one, shot this low score, this and that. And then all of a sudden somebody called me up and said, Hey, this guy is a bunch of baloney. The story runs the next day. This guy's a this guy is a con artist. Like, what? So I called the golf course, the county golf course, which I should have done. And they didn't, they knew that this guy said he had a hole in one, but they didn't have any scorecards. He they didn't he didn't turn any signed scorecards in verifying his hole or whatever it was. So I call the guy, he's changed his number. I talked to somebody he worked with. He goes, Yeah, he's bad. So I got I got con and the story was in print. So I had to write a retraction story. So I'd say I'd like to not erase that mistake. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, sometimes you didn't need to make a mistake like that. So you get a little more, you know, I was just naive. I, yeah. Why would somebody call in to say they did all this stuff? And I mean, what's the what's there to get? You just assume everyone's going to tell the truth. It's like, OK, well, sometimes you need to screw up and find out. I guess I better fact check it a little harder next time. Yeah. Now, a daily newspaper, you didn't have a lot of time for that, but yeah. that's what I learned. So it was a good thing to learn. So I guess I wouldn't do that over, but yeah, I, I would have liked to have not written that story. I've had some situations like that in radio. Um, I'll tell you a quick one about that. Years ago, we were doing live radio in Portland and uh, we set up a little network, which they would just call piggybacking, which basically you sent a phone line out to several stations. So not to get off in the weeds on the technicalities, but it was a big deal for me because I was just kind of starting in the syndication world other than a morning music show. You know, I was getting into the talk world and all that. And this is back in 1990 or something. Um, and they said, you got to interview this guy. This guy's from this organization and he's this and that and all that stuff. So I, I bought into it. I had two hours to fill. <laughs> A after three minutes, this guy had absolutely nothing to say. And I knew it was a con job because you ask him basic questions and he could not answer them. So I didn't like call him a phony or anything i just said okay after 15 minutes and a couple of commercial breaks i said i think that's it so i went out and got the newspapers and 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 you're familiar with this we used to do what we call rip and read which was right off the teletype machines you know you get the ap or something there i spent the next two hours just reading the news and the sports live on the radio because i didn't they told me he was so good that i didn't need to book another guest well, he wasn't in that studio 17 minutes total, and I got rid of it. So, yeah, you got to – that that was my, my big lesson, kind of like your story there. Um, what's the worst concert you ever went to? You you like music. What's the worst concert you ever went to? I've never been to a bad concert, but I went to see James Taylor at the State Fair in uh, Milwaukee, the Wisconsin State Fair, and he was great. But, and this is probably 80, so, you know, he's already probably pushing 35, 40 years old. The people, you know, four, four or five, you know, like teenagers were sitting around me, and they're yapping the whole time. And we're outdoors. Like, if, did, what did you come to listen to James Taylor for if you weren't, you know, I mean, it's probably a date. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, you've been to a concert and the people around you are ruining it for you. And uh, they could see I was about to say something. So they, they think they, one of them said, let's, 
All right, hey, well, let's let's go get some beer. All right. So they, they left to get, go get drinks, and then they didn't come back. But I was, you know, you don't go to a concert. Okay, it's one thing if somebody in the audience is singing along with somebody yeah. whoever they're there to see. But these people are just having a conversation. It's like, would you, sh- you know, would, when you look at I mean, how many times can you look at them or give them the shush sign? And, you know, they didn't want to, they weren't interested in listening to the, the, the music. So yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with the concert except, the fans were around me were, you know, disrespectful. I had a, I was telling my wife the other night, pre meeting her and, you know, obviously we've been married for 30 years now and all that. I took a, a gal to a Bruce Springsteen concert in Tacoma. She fell asleep during a Bruce Springsteen concert. And my buddy who worked in the radio too and his date and they both turned around and looked at me and they pointed at her and all i could say was i have no idea how you could fall asleep in a bruce springsteen concert i just don't know how that's done it was uh and then i stopped going out with her as soon as we got home but the point was it was pretty crazy uh you have a favorite movie Uh, you know, it's hard to pick one. I would, I would have, I like, I like Patton, except, you know, it's, it's such a remorseful ending. Another guy, a great, a guy who was great at what he did, but he couldn't help himself. He, he more like a Woody Hayes. He couldn't help opening his mouth. Uh, you know, a movie I enjoy is uh, Kelly's Heroes. Yep. Clint East, it's a, it's a unique war movie with humor and you know thrill and it's a heist movie in a war and there's the great scene where clint eastwood and donald sutherland and telly savalas are basically having a western showdown walking down the alley and at the other the gun on the other end is a german panzer tank and there is like a you know like they're going to have a quick draw or something that's it was that's an enjoyable don rickles is in that movie too it's an enjoyable movie and it's it was. It's not like any other war movie that I've ever seen. Yep. No. I. I have. You can pull it up on Netflix and stuff, but I also have a copy of it in my DVDs because it's. And I like the music in it. You know. Uh, yeah. The Mike the, type, Cur- the Mike Curb Congregation. Yep. That's very good. Um, what do you want to do when and if you retire? I don't know. I want to play better golf but that's my body's already decided the, what kind of level i'm going to play at so i don't know i'll just keep doing what i do you know i i, I am i still going to write something i don't know maybe i try to write a novel but that's writing a novel is different than writing you know news writing right everybody thinks they can write a novel but sit down and look at some blank pages and see if you can write two thousand words a day you know if you can after 40 days you got eighty thousand words you probably got a book but i don't know uh, I'm happy to just keep doing what I play with my grandson, play golf with my son, play more. You know, I'm I'm single minded. I play a lot of golf. But you uh, got a good life there, Gary, doing that. I watch golf. I get interviewed by guys who like to talk about golf. What's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> golf is it. I'm I'm on a one track mind. Play a little piano, but you know, I've got I get tinnitus. I I probably should play, wear headphones when I play the piano because my ears ring really 24 seven, whether I'm on the piano or not, just listening to music. 
So all you kids who are listening, not that anybody listening, but if you're listening to rock music when you're 18, it's great. But when you're 40 years later, you might be going, hmm, I wonder why my ears are ringing. Well, I think I know. I think too much music too long. When you stand in front of a um, yes, a, a speaker at a concert with Deep Purple and they and Richie Blackmore and they come out and go wong wong and you're and you're you literally feel your eardrums go whoop whoop like that. Probably shouldn't do that too much. You probably shouldn't, but who probably. knew? We're hey, when you're 25, you're invincible. You have to oh, worry about it. Absolutely. A uh, couple more questions here, buddy. Um, I'll start with a serious one and we'll end with a fun one. How's that? What's the biggest change you think should be made to pro golf and then to amateur golf? If any changes. Uh, we need bifurcation, different rules. You got to roll the ball back. You can't have these guys hitting it. 310 yards can't be the average drive. Right. It just can't. Uh, and, you know, an amateur's, Nobody's hitting it too far in amateur golf, but they are in pro golf. So that's a pretty simple change. Bring it back. So where a 320-yard drive is a big deal. Um, and what was the other uh, the big – what was the second one? Was that a two-part uh, question? Well, yeah, the pro golf and then amateur because I agree with the bifurcation. I can't even say it today. Uh, you know, you get the, the, the PGA and the tour and the RNA and – all these guys and you know i think for amateurs maybe we should lighten up a little bit on some things i don't mean cheating or anything like that i'm just saying that uh you know you get th what three minutes to find a lost ball when you're a pro that was a bad yeah that's a bad that was a bad rules change yeah because I tell you, you're playing in, and this is affecting me, you're playing in, say, uh, any kind of an actual tournament, whether it's a senior, regional, you know, any any real tournament. You know, and these kids are hitting at 310 in the air. Now, you hit it, you have significant rough. You hit it 310 in the air, you get up there. There's no marshals. There's no gallery up there. From 310 yards away, you don't know within 25 yards where to look for your ball in the rough. Right. Three minutes is not enough. And what happens is now the guy can't find his ball. He got to walk all the way back to the tee, slowing things down, reload. And then after that, everybody realizes, you know, anytime you hit one in the rough, I'm going to have to re hit a provisional just so I don't have to walk back. So the next thing you know, somebody in your group is hitting a provisional every other hole, slowing things down. I mean, it that rule slowed down play for amateurs. Yeah. Uh, that rule of three minutes, I guess, is enough in a pro tournament when there's fans and there's marshals. But marshals, yes. For amateur golf, three minutes ain't ain't anything. So I I, I would agree with that. I would like to see. Uh, I think we'd all like to see the out of bounds rule changed. Um, you know, why why can't I take the distance and take a drop or cross the out of bounds line or something? Right. Uh, I mean, you know, there's I don't know what you can really do. I. I I thought the anchoring ban wasn't wasn't right either, but you know, I guess seniors who need to putt with the anchor, they probably do it anyways. Yeah, probably. I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that when they changed when they went to this world handicapping system, 
that thing is not good. It's mathematically flawed. And they reduced your handicap to like eight rounds. and They count eight rounds instead of 10 rounds. So, I mean, I can shoot five terrible rounds and they don't count. I, I, you know, mathematically, the more, the bigger the sample, the better it is. If your handicap was based on 20 rounds, wouldn't that be more accurate than eight rounds? Right. But they do the opposite. Well, they're afraid that, you know, you're going to have, you're going to throw some crummy rounds in there. I don't, I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're thinking is the real problem with handicap now is you can punch your own scores in and nobody's there to, nobody verifies them. No. So if you want to clean up handicaps, you're going to need to not post a score and you're going to fill the club's going to have to post it for you. And it's got to be with at least two other guys or two other players who can verify that's what you shot. And if you make a nine on a hole, you made a nine on a hole. Why do I change? They say, well, you're too, your handicap's too low. You can't make a double on a par five. Well, I just did. Yep. So I guess I'm not too good. Yep. But there's no answer. You can't legislate away cheating because people will still find a way to do it. But I think it's the Wild West now with, with computers. You just post any score you want. Who, who knows? You don't even have to play. You can post 100 rounds. Nobody knows. So I, no. I, I don't like that. Yep. Um. Okay, here's the fun one, sort of. What would your last meal be if you were on death row? You know, people would probably say a nice big steak or something, but it's hard to beat a a really good hamburger with a lot of salt on it and some really good fries or potato chips and a a chocolate malt. That'd be pretty yeah. good. Pretty hard to beat. I'm not a fancy guy. I don't need I don't need filet mignon, a really good hamburger. I'll take that every time. Yeah, I had somebody, I asked somebody that question the other day, and they said, well, um, I like, I like, a, they said a steak, but they said, I also like a baked potato, but I want to choose my own potato, so maybe they let me grow it. <laughs> and they had, they had all this stuff about how to stretch that time out, you know, sure. like that. It was, it was pretty good. Okay, here's the last one, but... Um, if you were to deliver the Gary Van Sickle message to people listening to this show and all the people interested in golf, if you had one message for the golfer, what would that message be? It could be anything, but what would your message be to people? You can't buy a better game. If you really want to play better, it takes work. But we're so score conscious, you don't have to play better. You can just show up and play twice a week and not practice. Just have fun. Yeah. You know, if you're a serious golfer and you want to get better like I am, I got to work at it. But I could, you know, in the fall, I quit practicing and just go out and play. It's like, well, there's no point. I don't care anymore. So I just want to see how many rounds I can get in. So pick what kind of golfer you are and go with that. But if you just want to play golf twice a week and never practice, then have fun, but don't expect to get better. Just right. Have, it's it's a fun it's nice to be outside think of where you are you're outdoors it's warm and you're playing golf that should be good enough you, as peter jacobson and i'm sure other guys have said you know tell their pro-am partners you're not good enough to get mad just enjoy the game yeah 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 that reminds me i think maybe i told you this a few years ago uh we did we had uh the fred meyer challenge here which was nicknamed peter's party Talking yep. about talking about Jacobson. And he'd have Trevino and 
Fuzzy and Floyd and all these guys come in and it, and the, the, the Portland area, they loved it. They saw these guys and they were kind of, when that ended, a lot of those guys were kind of waning down on their career and headed towards the seniors, or maybe some of them had been on the seniors already for a couple of years. Palmer used to come up to it all the time and Jack and all that. But I always remember this one. I was standing by the green and uh, Trevino hit a shot and it, it went past the pin, stayed up right on the first cut of the, of the fringe there. Okay. And Trevino walks up there with his putter and the three of his amateur partners were looking at him. So they grabbed their putter and they walked up there and a fourth guy comes up with two wedges and uh, his ball. And I think he may even had his putter in his hand and he goes, he, it's his turn to hit. He puts his ball down by the marker. He's going to hit and Trevino. Finally, he's paying attention. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to chip that. He goes, the only guy that can chip that and make that work, uh, this was pre-Tiger. He goes, it's Ray Floyd. And buddy, you're no Ray Floyd. Pick up that putter and hit that ball. And the guy was kind of embarrassed, but the crowd loved it. And, you know, I don't know if he made the putt or not. I don't even remember because I was kind of laughing so hard at that because I was only standing like four feet from him. But, uh, yeah, go have fun. That's the deal to me. Absolutely. Lee Trevino is a golfing savant. Anything he says, I listen to. Absolutely. Gary Van Sickle, he's a good friend and he's a good friend of the show. And if you don't read his columns, you should. Uh, you can just get them every morning and morning read and from SI there, SI.com. Gary, thanks. And have a good holiday season, buddy. You too. Let's hope uh, we get some a reprieve. Looking for an Indian summer and a little golf here, but I'm doubtful. Uh, I think it's over here, but you probably have a better shot than I do. Well, we'll see. All right, we're going to get out of here. We thank Thanks. you all for listening, and y'all take care and have a good week.